Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Threshold Conversations. My name is Demi Lola and I have the privilege of interviewing Dr. Denson. She is a clinical psychologist and um, a professor at CUNY uh, College, College of Staten Island. Um, she's a professor of psychology and a believer herself. And um, today we'll just be discussing um, the subjects of mental health, mental health in the church, just all of what that um, concerns. So I really, really do look forward to her insights. Welcome, Dr. Denson. Hello. Hi. <laughs> so um, she has um, just really taken the time to, you know, consider some of the questions that we have concerning um, mental health, and I would really just like to start off by asking, what is mental health? What is mental illness? I think people use those two like interchangeably. Um, so is there a difference, and can you just differentiate that? Yeah, mental health, broadly, broadly, will be considered the health and the well-being of someone's mind and how that influences their thoughts and that influences their behaviors, their beliefs, their actions. So it's almost like a triad if you think of how thoughts would influence mm -hmm. someone's belief in who they really think they are and how that influences their behaviors. And right. so when we're trying to examine mental health, we're looking at all three components, mm. mind, okay. being, and action, and behavior. And mental illness, on the other hand, from a very clinical point of view, we're looking at how um, how that triad that I explained yeah. can be interrupted and can cause disorder in someone's life, causing them mm. not being able to function in daily living activities. So right. whether that be going to work, whether that be going to school, that something is hampered in the way an individual thinks in the way an, an individual acts, mm -hmm. in the way an individual believes that they're being and who they are, that something has happened that's causing them not to function in the world. And that's the important piece. Mm -hmm. It's not that they think that something is wrong with them, not at all. Or it's not that other people think that something mm -hmm. is wrong with them, not at all. But it's really assessed and determined by how are they able to function in the world. Mm. Thank you. I like the idea of a triad because it's not just one thing. Like you said, what, like our thoughts influence how we think and all of that is just like a cycle. So it's not just specific to one component. Um, and do you think that, you know, mental illness is something that a Christian can experience? You know, I think sometimes we're like, oh, like you're a person of faith. So even like depression is that, is that something that can happen? to yes. anybody, and you've yes. counseled. Any illness, a Christian uh, can experience a heart attack, they can experience the mm. flu, mm. a stuffy nose, right. uh, so right. can a Christian experience schizophrenia, depression, yeah. ADHD. Mm. Uh, a matter of fact, if I were to take it further, we, as a Christian, 
trials and tribulations are yours. That's yeah. no different than a person who's not a Christian. However, you have a hope. Yeah. A hope of glory and almost an answer to the trials and tribulations because mm. Jesus himself said it. Be of good cheer. I have overcome this world. Yeah. So the hope through the trials and tribulations is something very different than a non-Christian. I think mm. I think that's the distinction. Mm. But do Christians have struggles and illness and trials? Of course. Right. Promise that. Mm. Everyone does. No yeah. one is exempt. Yeah. And that's usually like how I I think <laughs> what helped me to see it was the comparison to like our physical health Mm -hmm. just like you know we would yeah experience you know a broken leg it's not you know you're not exempt from that (laughs) like the rain you know falls on both the righteous and the unrighteous so you you know we're all in this together (coughs) as long as you're you know in this world that's just no one is exempt so and I think that is really important I agree with you because um I think one of the things that Christians we have to guard against and I say we is pride. Mm. And there's something very unifying about what happened in the Garden of Eden. Mm. Adam and Eve are all of our fathers and mothers. So we can't um, really... I know sometimes as Christians we want to make it seem as if we're different because Mm. we have a light, quote-unquote, or we have have the answer. Or we take the... Bible very seriously and so that makes us sometimes we want to feel like we're better than other people and that's definitely not the case Mm. that is definitely not the case the case is that we all came from the garden of Eden Mm. and sin and iniquity is what we're all shaped in and we have to guard or be careful against that pride that self-righteous pride that always wants to rear its ugly head yeah yeah Yeah. because we're Mm. unified as mankind as you said I never thought about pride, but that's actually a good, that's a good point to make. And I guess when we're relating to other people as well, that's the difference that we can bring in is hope, but not exactly that, you know, I'm above this, but people do want to know that, hey, you know, you have struggled with this, but I see how you, like you said earlier, how you persevere through that and, you know, what actually got you through that experience. So yeah, I think well we need to level, be on the same level uh, playing field in order to witness to people because no one wants to think you've got it all together and, you know, above them, like you just said. Um, and do you see a way that mental health is perceived, like, near different, I guess, the different populations that you've served? So whether that's, like, Caribbeans, um, you know, the West or Africans, like, do you see a difference amongst how different populations um, perceive mental illness? Mm-hmm. Are people more open, soft? Well, psychology is relatively a young field, relative that to uh, biology and chemistry, I would say. Mm-hmm. And in so in general, I will say that as psychology makes its way, fortifies its way as a science, mm-hmm. and Really, now we have great, a lot of credibility, at least I'm very convinced, scientific evidence, truly, um, that mental disorders exist. Mm. Um, There is scientific evidence around treatment for mental disorders. uh, There's a lot of evidence Mm. for mental 
illness. And so, and I mean, with the Mental Health Parity Act passing and now mental health mm-hmm. treatment being included in most yeah. insurance plans, I know, I think that there's a strong message, especially mm-hmm. in the West, that uh, mental disorders are real. Mm-hmm. That said, um, there has been a strong stigma in the West against mental disorders. Mm -hmm. But because we have more evidence as of late and because medicine has adopted uh, mental disorders in science, I think that stigma is being attacked. And many people have published on it Mm -hmm. and spoken out against mental stigma for mental disorders. And I think that we have made advances. And the reason why I say that is because if we compare it to developing countries Mm -hmm. or non-industrialized or westernized nations, we see a vast difference with the stigma. And I think that developing countries need a lot of growth in the area of how to target the stigma about a mental illness. A lot of nations do not even provide basic care Mm -hmm. for mental disorders. And we still see in developing countries how kids who can't make it like the regular kids or they're not smart like the regular kids, um, and I use quotes Quotes. around (laughs) regular, um, then they don't even have a a chance in life to learn. Mm -hmm. They don't have a chance to get any type of treatment or services. They're kind of just not invested in. Yeah. And we see that a lot in developing nations. Well, in the well, and in comparison in the West, it's not that way. I think kids here. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying we've arrived. We're yeah, not there yet. There's a lot done. of work to be done. Yeah. But I think kids here or people with mental disorders here can get services. It's hard, mm-hmm. but they can get services, and someone will acknowledge there are um, experts who. Mm-hmm will acknowledge and attempt to even treat mental disorder, those that are less common. So there is a difference between Western and non-Westernized nations. I think both nations have had, both settings have had great stigma against mental disorders, but there's a distinction between the West and the non-West as far as there's less stigma in the West than there is in the non-West. Um, so you just mentioned um, the amount of information that is available um, in countries that are well-developed versus, you know, countries that are just developing. Um, and I know in the past you've spoken about, like, your work with um, Guyanese orphanages um, where you went to do research. So when you had the opportunity to train um you know, the mental health workers, the directors, the staff at the orphanages, did they already have, like, prior knowledge of, you know, mental health, which made them more, you know, open to this? Or did you find that, you know, a lot of this was, like, new, like, novel mm. information? Um, they have a lot of prior knowledge. Most of the directors and clinicians in uh, Guyana, specifically, had gone to graduate school and had received advanced training. What they might not have had was uh, access to tools. Mm. So familiarity using commonly used instruments here, commonly used techniques and treatment approaches. They probably didn't have access, so there was a lot of orientation to 
resources and tools. Mm -hmm. But as far as prior knowledge and understanding of mental illness, they definitely had it. So good. Um, I just want to, I guess, just press in more on like the perception of mental health. A question that came up is whether God seizes the actions of those with mental illness as sin. So that could be um, ADHD or depression or schizophrenia, all of, you know, different personality disorders. Um, First of all, have you like heard people say that like, oh, like this is the actions of this person is a sin. So how do you distinguish between this is a sin versus this is um, a disorder? Is there like any correlation between that? I think that there needs to be a little bit of background knowledge to your question. Yeah. As a person of cultural background, I understand mm. that sometimes in some cultures and some contexts that actions can be considered sin. Mm. So, for example, they would say, you're lying. You're sinning, if Mm. you want to tell a lie. Or if you've um, hurt someone, you've sinned. And with that definition of sin, I think you're asking me, how can people, do people misconstrue, Mm. or do people believe you can almost hear my answer? Do people... Think that <laughs> sin and mental and actions associated with mental illness are the same. Right. Is that what you're asking yeah. me? No, I think you have to know the definition of sin, which mm. if you have the broad definition of sin, I think there's no correlation, just yeah. to be clear, between um, sin and mental disorder behaviors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> def- you would need to know the definition of sin, and I am using, I just um, typed this in. My definition of sin is separation from God. Mm. So when Adam, when Eve was deceived by, we just go back to Genesis, right? So when Eve was deceived and she ate from the tree that she was instructed by God not to, um, and then she gave the fruit to Adam and Adam also ate. Mm. And then God confronts him. The question, I guess, someone could say was, was the, was the, uh, her eating, taking of the fruit, or her doubting what God said, Mm. or her being deceived, or her wanting to see, wanting to, uh, see or her giving the fruit to Adam or Adam taking the fruit which one of those were sin I guess someone would ask Mm. Um, my understanding of that is that the sin was something that exists in all of us and it wasn't an action it was wanting to be like God and we that starts in the heart. Yeah. And so wanting to compete, wanting to be like God, and then the separation that occurred, I would define that as sin as well. Separation from God. 
So in that case, there is no action that I can define. Now, I know um, in our moral society, we say, no, well, lying is a sin. Um, but that really starts in the heart. Lying to do what? Because you want to be seen in a different light, because you want to get over, you yeah. don't, you're hiding something, you know, so that's the sin, I'm going to venture yeah. to say. It's not the action that is a fruit of sin. So what, may, what makes it tangible, people might often interpret as the sin, like eating her eating the fruit, or Adam eating the fruit, but really the sin is that we are we um, we get separated from God because because we're born into sin, yeah. right? Yeah, so that said, the distinction <laughs> that you're making, yeah. That said, um, no, I don't think that there's a correlation between mental disorders and sin. Again, we're more similar as humans than we are different. Mm. Yeah, I think that was such a very interesting take the action versus the intent behind it your heart motivation I think that's actually a very very interesting take and I've never seen it that way before but you're right it is the way that we judge the outward um, expressions of these different mental you know different mental illnesses but right as that I like the way you said that because um, Jesus himself said Make a correct judgment. Judge the heart. Now, mm-hmm. can we judge the heart as humans? No. We can't right. see another person's heart. Yeah. So, um, but when he says, you know, when Jesus tells us to um, love those who curse you and bless those who curse you, and that is the mark, because it's easy to love someone who loves you. Right. It's his challenge, right? Mm-hmm. When he tells you that, he, he, he goes on to see, and I'm, I'm looking for, I'm going to look up the scripture. I'll tell you in a moment. It'll come. Um, but he, at the end of that scripture, he says, um, because whatsoever evil, when you produce um, evil fruit, or when you bear evil fruit, it came from an evil heart. Mm. He he's telling us that the action or whatever you observe and judge is not where it is. A matter of fact, we know later in the um, letters of the apostle, um, we learn later that those things that are seen are not as real as those things that are unseen, mm-hmm. or vice versa. Those things that are unseen are more real than the things that are seen. Yeah. So it's not. Sometimes it's. Of course, you know, people will look at something and say, oh, wow, you murdered someone, you stabbed someone, mm-hmm. and that's wrong. Yeah. What began in the heart is the question, um, and if we really do consider what began in the heart, then we would know that we all have anger, doubt, unbelief, that gone unchecked can really ruin our life because the wages of sin is death. Mm. And that's true. So that's sin. That's yeah. It's that separation from God. His whole point was to create us as image bearers and for us to be close as 
the Bible says it. He, they walked with him in the garden. We were supposed mm-hmm. to be close with our master, but then, you know, the whole Adam and Eve okay. thing. We get separated from God. That's sin, and we're all the same. Wages mm-hmm. of sin is death. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry I leave that on a bad note. <laughs> that could also play into um, how we view, yeah, people with mental illness and sometimes people thinking is this like a punishment is this like did your parents do wrong like is this um you know is this a punishment from god of like ancestral sin like what is your take on that like is that would god visit someone with a mental disorder because of what their parents did do you see a correlation between like ancestral um actions and now like what someone is experiencing can we say God punished this person because of their ancestors my take is exactly the take of what I believe is John 9 on that and John 9 is the story of the man who was um, born blind and people came and asked and said hey is this his parents fault or is it um, because he himself is sin? Whose is it? And they actually thought they were going to catch Jesus. And Jesus gives the best answer. Um, and his answer, <laughs> with the truest answer. And he said that this occurred so that God can be glorified. Mm. So, specifically, um, people look for blame. Mm. We mm. always look to blame and try to understand while things might just be a tad bit more complicated. Mm. Again, trying to play God. We're made. We, we are all sinners. So trying to blame and trying to find the answer. Oh, it's because his parents messed up. Oh, you have a mental disorder because you messed up. Mm. Or because your parents gave you genes. I think all of that is uh, an erroneous way of thinking about mental disorder from a spiritual lens it's so that you can give glory to God we all have crosses and the way we carry our cross is how others will know whose we are Um, clinically same thing same thing Uh, it's not about blaming parents and saying it's nature Mm. or it's not about blaming social uh, social um, environments or lack thereof and saying it's nurture, mm-hmm. why someone has this disorder. Um, it's typically complicated. Mm-hmm. And really the answer is not in how you got that. I mean, we can't play God. It's complicated. Can someone explain what, how malignant tumor metastasized in a um, mm. woman's ovary? I mean... We, we're not there and neither are we with schizophrenia or we do know some of mechanisms that are at work we understand some not only biological but psychological and social correlates we understand the effects of genes um, um, we have uh, we understand that social traumas can impact mental illness we, we understand a lot but the one solution simplified answer is not there. And I do think that science should use most of its efforts to try to mitigate the symptoms and treat mental disorder. Mm-hmm. And 
I think Jesus summed that up quite nicely in John 9 when he, he spat in the mud <laughs> and he said that this happened so that the Son of God could be glorified. I mean, mm. it's the same thing. Yeah. You just, we all get something and then you treat it and you carry it. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the verse I was thinking, so I'm glad you, you came through on that. I think a lot of times um, in the church, when someone is dealing with a mental disorder, um, we usually hear that we should pray. For some, they're like, okay, I've been praying, like, nothing is changing. So how do we pray, but also take action or is there a time when we just depend on prayer and just you know just hope that things heal over time so how do we deal with that where it's you know pray but when do we actually take action or is it all prayer or is it both and you mean pray against a mental illness right so if one is dealing dealing with that whether again just depression like okay I'm praying I don't want to experience this do I just stick to prayer or is there is that really like the full counsel here or is there time when we should take action to really uh, seek help with that particular disorder you should always take action and you should always pray in my opinion yeah there's mm. there's nothing those two don't oppose it. yeah the bible says you should pray without ceasing so that's easy yeah we should always take action no, your actions, if you believe that God is sovereign, your actions will never contend. Mm. He's sovereign. He's yeah. God. Yeah. So you should always take action. You should always pray. And know that God is working. Right. Why has there been that pushback or maybe like stigma against getting outside professional help? help? I think, again, I mean, psychology had to establish itself as a science. And I think that's one. I think for, and I think people in general always have to get over the hump of asking for help. Hmm. So we've known people of old who say, I don't go to the doctor. I just whip up ginger and garlic and I never have to go to the doctor. Um, And then... It, the same thing can occur with a mental disorder. Uh, I'm fine. I don't want to have to go through this. So people in general, I think, have to sometimes get over the hump, except for people who like, who are attention-seeking, love going to the doctor. Yeah. But I think people in general have to get over that hump of going to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And that's just the personal thing. We all vary with how much we do that. And then... Secondly, I think, yeah, that the field in general had to establish itself like, you know, mental health treatment works. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's it's developed and far more credible. There's been a lot of evidence that it works and people are beginning to believe that, which is great. Mm -hmm. That's good. And do you see a difference between, like, or can you speak to a difference between, if there is, um, pastoral counseling so someone going to their pastor um versus someone going to i guess a clinical psychologist like yourself that's a great question yeah there is definitely a difference when you're talking about psychiatric disorder uh 
a pastoral counselor is not trained to diagnose, treat psychiatric disorder. Mm. Just like a pastoral counselor is not trained to give the flu shot. Mm. And in that case, I would not say that a person has to choose either or because likewise, it's hard to find a Christian psychiatrist or a psychologist and you might not need a, some people might have an affinity and want that mm-hmm. and that's great, um, but you don't need it if you can't find it, okay? Mm-hmm. I What I'm trying to say, if you can't find it, don't be dismayed right. because this can be, we have now HIPAA release forms. So someone can be treated by a psychiatrist or a clinical psychologist or someone who's an expert in mental disorders mm-hmm. and they can sign a release form for them to um, conversate, consult with a biblical counselor, like mm-hmm. a pastor, and they can get both at the same time. Um, as long as that, and I actually think there's room and great development and growth mm-hmm. for that because they're not going to be, we don't necessarily need pastors who are psychiatrists and we don't need psychiatrists who are pastors. We need people who are fulfilling their call as God sees fit. Mm. That's what we need. And we need to do that in harmony as a body. I think, I think that's where the uh, witnessing and God glorifying comes in. So in that case, if a pastoral counselor is willing to be a part of a psychiatric team, they might even learn some things. They'll learn the boundaries of their practice. Um, and the psychiatrist, of course, will learn the boundaries of their practice, but they, they can also pull in a social support, a really healthy social support network uh, that the patient or the client would really benefit from because churches historically have been great community that people need. We need yeah. that as uh, and being able to have someone come over, cook you a meal, pray with you, encourage you, read a scripture with you is valued. That's not treatment for a psychiatric disorder, but that is a, a, a community that is ex- of extreme value, right? And so if we can build that bridge with a mental health specialist, a clinician, a psychiatrist, psychologist, and they can work with a Christian uh, specialist, a pastoral counselor, a deacon, an elder, then yeah, it can work. People, it can. Right. It, it's, that would be ideal for someone to build that. It's, um, right. That would be really ideal, whether Christian or not Christian, because people need community, mm. and so that that would be ideal. Right. So they're not mutually exclusive. I think that actually provides a lot of freedom because we tend to just see all of these different, you know, professions or. Um, environments as exclusive so we want to look for and I'm sure there is a benefit to you know finding like a Christian psychologist because they're just some things that you can you know probably talk about and you can relate to one another Um, but at the same time not seeing them as um, exclusive allows like you said just all these different professions, all these different people to come alongside you because you need to hit everything from different angles. Right. So whether that's community, whether that's encouragement, whether that's diagnosis, like all of those are working um, in harmony. So yeah. I think you really um, spoke on that well. And that does touch on how we build the gap between faith and 
mental health therapy. You've just spoken a bit on that. Is there, are there any other ways that you see us being able to bridge that gap or bridge that divide? So you've spoken about pastors working with um, other mental health professionals. So I guess in the gap that we see in mental health intervention and the church, are there any like ways that you see us helping people understand um, mental health better, whether that's the way that it's treated, whether that's the way that um, we approach it? How do we bridge this gap more so that there Mm -hmm. isn't a divide between the church? Would it be helpful to have, you know, a mental health seminar in the church and really break down what this is? Like, what does that look like where we're not, you know, mystified um, in the church and actually provide the help that people need? Um, I can... Yeah, there definitely is. There are mental health workshops. I just thought of Dr. Sydney Hankerson, who mm-hmm. is here in New York and was awarded a grant to um, empower communities mm-hmm. and 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 ally with churches to give mental health seminars. So what can pastors do? Um, they can learn the mental health awareness like symptoms they can be aware of um signs of when this requires uh, a medical specialist this requires some a mental health specialist someone who is trained in the field to meet the need of this person that attends my church so um and i got again sydney hankerson um offers these class, Mental Health Warning Signs, and he offers this class to churches throughout the New York area, and it's funded by the National Institute of Mental Health. Um, Because oftentimes people might go to their church first. Mm. Some people might go to their church first, or people in their church might know something is wrong and ask for church help first. Of course, that's biblical, right? Um, And I think where the problem lies is when people in the church think that this does not require mental health specialty, Mm -hmm. then people will stay with symptoms that can get worsened or become more severe with time and untreated Mm -hmm. instead of getting mental health treatment, which can, you know mitigate the symptoms and again Mm -hmm. going back to that old model work even collaborate with the church so that it can be strengthened and enhanced so I do think that um pastors deacons elders can I just identify where their limits are Mm. and not where their faith is because faith has no limits (laughs) Uh, but where their limits are as far as their expertise and just be honest about that and recognize, no, we need a mental health specialist here. Mm-hmm. And then if I were to take it a next step further, I would say that they would be able to provide psychoeducation in the church mm-hmm. so that people will recognize, oh, what I'm dealing with here is something that need, requires psychiatric or psychological care. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the church can do much. They w- that would be great. Because they would be the front line. They have masses of people. And if they can just know the warning signs and when it's it requires specialty services, I think Mm -hmm. that would be great. 
That would be super helpful. Um, and that continues to speak to the point of um, collaboration and hopefully can help people just even communicate this and feel comfortable. I think the church is kind of that place where we should feel hopefully just open enough to communicate what we're experiencing, knowing that we would be able to get the help that we need. Yeah. So I yeah. think that's that's very vital. So we come to a close um, of our discussion, and I will be um, sharing that link to Dr. Sydney Hankerson's seminar. So if you want to check that out and maybe recommend it to your church, um, you would have that information. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in. I hope this has been um, just very insightful for you as it has been for me. And thank you, Dr. Denson, You're for welcome. joining us. And I have a close. I referenced Please. the scripture earlier, and I just wanted to give the exact scripture. That would be Luke 6. Luke I referenced 6. about uh, the tree bearing fruit when Jesus said, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor mm. does a bad tree bear good fruit. Um, and a tree is recognized by its fruit he goes on in Luke 6 verse 45 to say that a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart Mm. and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his Mm. heart for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of again I don't Mm. necessarily think that psychologists or any man knows the heart of a person but what we definitely know is that the fruit is not the beginning it Mm. comes from the heart Mm. and I think actually the mental health field acknowledges that and hopefully the church will acknowledge that a little bit more right thanks for referencing that I think honestly having the context um you know the the knowledge how we Again, this is all about how we're viewing this. So biblical, you know, context is very, very important. And I don't think God does not speak to that. So um, it's the research or study. Dr. Denson has definitely helped to um, bring that into the conversation, which I appreciate it. Um, so thank you so very, very much again um, for allowing me to just talk to you on this. And we hope you will tune in to the next one. Okay.